Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the Structure and Interpretation of Computer Programmers podcast. Once again, a bored man has got access to a microphone and will use it to be wrong on the internet. Once again, I am that bored man and my name is Graham Lee. Before getting into the topic of today's show, I wanted to talk about how the uh, show is run. Basically, uh, I pay for uh, the hosting myself. You will have noticed if you've listened to an episode before, there are no adverts. Uh, This is just a thing I do because I want to share my experiences as a software engineer, having been doing this uh, since about 2004 professionally. And um, it costs me money to run. And uh, I have a Patreon for um, people to support me financially. There's no obligation, but I would welcome the support and make it easier uh, to keep this podcast going and the other projects I do, such as um, the Amiga development stream at dosamigans.com and the uh, Objective-C and GNU Step programming stream at obshi-retain.com. Uh, so if you like this project or you like any of those projects, um, please go to patreon.com slash iamleeg, patreon.com slash iamleeg, and uh, become a patron. I would appreciate it a lot. Thank you. So the topic for today is... Uh, comprehensive documentation and specifically the idea in the Agile Manifesto uh, which was published back in 2001 saying we have come to value working software over comprehensive documentation. The important part of that sentence is the back in 2001 part because it contextualizes everything else that we know and understand about this document and what it's trying to tell us. The comprehensive document, comprehensive documentation to which the manifesto is referring is the kind of documentation that was common on software projects uh, and demanded by um, the sponsors and the managers and particularly the project managers uh, of software projects back at this time. And uh, it's really the idea that you weren't allowed to do anything in software before you had completed um, a set of uh, like you know a set of reports more or less um, a sort of intermediate step that that was what the um, the so-called water model waterfall model is about and even on projects that were doing you know iterative and incremental development they were still doing it within this framework of expecting um, like the design of this iteration to be uh, complete and to be derived from a uh, complete specification, which was um, derived from a complete requirements document for that iteration before the coding was done on that iteration and then for the coding to be complete before the artifact was built and tested and for that to be complete before it was shipped and so on. That model of developing software where you're developing to the requirements of the project documentation uh, was really what these people found the um you know the agile alliance found as problematic and uh, deserving of refocus towards the working software it had many problems um one of which was a sort of faith in the documentation as a source of truth uh, rather than a faith in 
like customer acceptance or in um, you know utility of the thing that you were producing. And that's why they said that they had come to value working software over comprehensive documentation. They're not saying that documentation doesn't have any value or that the documentation um, isn't a useful artifact or a worthy thing to produce. They are saying that it is not the point. The point is having the software that works at the end and all of the documentation you produce and all of the code you produce for that matter should be in service of that other goal the production of working software so let me give you an example when i uh, worked as a uh, developer on a, a desktop security product um, back in 2007 to 2009 it was managed not only according to a sort of documentation-centric process, but very much a, a traditional waterfall-style project process. The pro project managers, well, actually, no, the senior leadership, senior engineering leadership at this company uh, had all come from a hardware manufacturer. And hardware, um, this is like chips, microchips, really does have that measure twice, cut once, mentality because that is a valuable way to do um, microelectronics design. It doesn't mean that microelectronics design isn't iterative. You tape out a design, uh, you build a first batch of prototypes, you find some problems, you refine the design, you uh, build another prototype. But that process that iterative process has significant costs and significant delays. Uh, and so you try to avoid doing it um, as, as much as possible. You try to keep those iterations to a minimum, ideally a single iteration, but realistically two or you know a very small number. And uh, these... Uh, senior leaders in this software organization had come from that context and so the software process followed that um you know that paradigm uh, you had to you had various like phases uh so they would be um like requirements specified system designed uh code complete feature complete um first customer ship well beta then first customer shipment um and then the thing would go into maintenance and to go through each of these um phases to exit one phase and enter the next phase you had to have um like certain things in place and documentary evidence that you had this so uh like having the requirements complete um to start to enter the so system design phase, you had to have um, your requirement specification, which is uh, essentially a description of what the product would do, uh, where that fit in the marketplace in terms of uh, new revenue obtained. Obviously, this is a prediction. New revenue obtained by having uh, that the the software that's described. Um, existing revenue protected you know so if you are catching up to a competitor then you're basically saying by having this we will keep some amount of subscriptions who would otherwise go to one of our competitors um 
and then uh, that would have to uh, also contain certain uh, sort of quality characteristics um, such as performance, like not regressing on amount of RAM used, number of processes in a process table, um, time spent uh, doing particular operations, and that would have to be reviewed by the senior leadership team and signed off before you get to go to phase two, where you actually de design a thing that's going to do that. Um, and like during that time, if developers were assigned to the project or if QA uh, were assigned to the project or if build engineers were assigned to the project, they couldn't actually get anything done. Or if they did, they were doing it at risk because it was seen that these requirements could um, be changed and you know you haven't designed the thing yet so if you start coding it or testing it before you've got the design nailed down there's a good chance that you're going to do the wrong thing um, but if you uh, missed like you know let's say that you didn't get through the phase exit review and you stayed in phase one you couldn't move on to um, designing the system that you might lose your allocation of the engineers who are going to build this thing or the um, architects who are going to design it because some other project that does exit phase one takes that resource away from you. Then when you do exit phase one, you don't have access to that resource and so the whole project gets delayed. And then that affects your allocation of other resources, You know the people who are going to do the later phases because um, your project has essentially lost its uh, slot in the timetable, if you like. So it's a very inefficient way of um, resourcing. And it was also sort of culturally endemic to uh, that organisation. Um, they they realised that they had a problem with uh, software project management and that what they were doing was both inefficient and you know, behind the curve in terms of what a lot of other organisations were doing. And you know looked around at um, definitely XP. There was a team who were trialing an XP approach uh, and um, I think uh, DSDM and Rational Unified Process and a bunch of other um, more modern software project management techniques and they settled on uh, the Poppendike idea of lean software which borrows ideas from what's called um, Toyotism or Total Quality Management an approach to building cars uh, that uh, became popular, uh, popularized from uh, Japan and Japanese car companies. And the way that they implemented this um, lean software idea was to add a pre-phase one exit strategy, uh, sorry, pre-phase one exit um, watershed in a project. So a new project that before it could even define its requirements. It had to produce another document which had to get signed off by the senior leadership explaining how waste on that project would be reduced through the lifetime of the project. So in attempting to reduce waste, they introduced another phase of the project and another collateral piece of documentation. Um, yeah, there was just this sort of like cultural um, inertia against asking how do we do the software better it was always how do we get the correct artifacts in order to manage our risk appropriately and you'll notice that i'm talking about uh, project documentation a lot here 
Um, that's really the comprehensive documentation that the Agile Manifesto was saying should be valued lower than uh, working software. They weren't saying don't write user manuals. They weren't saying don't tell the customer what you're doing or how it works. They, they were saying give the customer something that works and if you need to produce um, documentation to enable that then you need to do that if you look at like the specific technical practices of xp there are quite a few documents produced um, by an xp team so i will assert that a complete lack of documentation is harmful i will assert that based on my experience and on talking to a bunch of other software engineers about what goes on on their projects and what goes wrong on their project. These are software engineers from a variety of backgrounds working on a variety of different things. The idea that there are bits of documentation you need in order to succeed at your project is a common one, but the practice of not producing any documentation because we've heard that comprehensive documentation is devalued is is even wider uh, in its um, you know, sphere of influence, if you like. So here's you know, some of the examples that uh, I found of things that you actually need. Um, if like someone is uh, paying you for writing the software, then you need a high level agreement of the uh, scope of the interaction, uh, the goals the time frame, the deliverables, the responsibilities, who from the sort of sponsor side and who from the delivering side is going to be responsible for what and what resources are going to be involved. Um, and that all you know, might sound like a big design up front or it might sound um, you know, like an old school way of doing things. But if you are... Uh, an external organization, an agency, a consultancy, you definitely need it. You need something that you can, uh, that people on both sides can point to and say, this is something that we agreed was in scope. Now, you might not agree what it looks like, but you might, um, you know, you might agree like what the thing is that's going to be delivered. So, uh, you know, for example, if you've got this a client who wants you to build a uh, consumer-facing electronic gambling platform, let's say. And you say, okay, we'll build a consumer-facing electronic gambling platform. Does that mean that you have to do the back-end that contains all of the rules for all of the different um, sports that they might be betting on? Or does it just mean... Um, uh, front end you know a, a way for people to like place their bets does it involve um actually taking payments or is there going to be someone else in doing the payment integration does it um involve like the uh does it involve a mobile application um are you expected to deploy the uh the service part of this platform in a particular context is it going to go into a data center that's owned by the client is it going to go into a um con you know a public cloud uh, platform do you get to choose the public cloud platform or does the client already have a 
uh, an account with one of the providers that they expect to use. Um, who is going to be doing that deployment? Do they have a, an operations team or do you? Those kinds of things need to be nailed down so that both sides can point to this agreement and say, yes, we expect this thing to be done as part of this project. And yes, we expect to have a result within this much time. Um, an example from uh, my uh, not so distant past uh, was that I was asked to build a mobile application uh, that was uh, a, a sort of companion app to a Windows desktop application and that there were um, developers on this uh, team who owned the Windows development uh, the Windows desktop app and um, like I had to kind of integrate with their uh, data structures and their file formats and uh, present a UI. Um, and you know, in order to do that, I had to like, have you know, a copy of the Windows software. I had to have the kind of files that it would produce. I had to have um, an idea of the data that they wanted to gather from the uh you know, from the sort of mobile app side and how these things would integrate only no one ever wrote that agreement down so there were a couple of months before i got access to any of the resources uh, that were needed which obviously shortened the um, effective length of the project and thus reduced what i could do we never agreed on which platforms this mobile app uh, would support so i went along you know on the basis that because it was a tablet thing and because 97 percent of the world's tablets are uh ipads or rather 97 percent of my world's tablets are ipads and this was a thing initially for a uk market i kind of you know just went well ipad is most likely and then um the first customer for this client uh, said we're going to go out and buy android tablets uh, which ones do you recommend and suddenly you know this um, thing had to be built on android now luckily i had chosen because i knew that they had c-sharp developers uh, who were res responsible for maintaining the code base uh, i had chosen xamarin which is a cross-platform thing and so there's very little work involved in moving it over to android um, but then it turned out that they weren't expecting to do the maintenance themselves. They were expecting uh, to be able to ask me to do it, even after you know, the end of the project, after I had finished being paid uh, for the engagement. Um, you know, I'm not saying any of these expectations are like bizarre or are you know infeasible or are even like. Um, you know, in in any way unsurprising what I'm saying is that because we didn't agree those things they all became points of contention and points of uh, disagreement down the project line where both sides of the interaction had been expecting the other side uh, the other party in the interaction to take care of things uh, that actually weren't being handled by anybody um, and so you need that high level uh, sort of interaction you need that here is what we are going to do here is the time scale over which we're going to do it uh, here is what you are going to do in order to enable that here is the time scale over which we need to do that here is what it's going to cost and here is what you're going to get 
that needs to be written down and that needs to be agreed by both parties um it's a bit different if you're an in-house team for you know a company working on internal it projects because then there's an ongoing uh relationship there's more of an expert an expectation that we are paying for you know this much team to exist in order to look after this project um you're still going to want to set goals and to um like show that you are achieving those goals but there is going to be a different uh ongoing sense of negotiation if you are like either an external consultant or agent or you are an internal person but nonetheless engaged in a kind of you know fixed cost um consultancy model you're going to want that that high level agreement and you're going to want that agreed and defined by both sides you are then going to want a change management process now if you look at and you have to look at the first edition uh for this but if you look at first edition of code complete uh steve mcconnell defines the change management process as a process so onerous that your client won't want to uh, notify you of any changes so that they keep quiet and you get to deliver the project in peace. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said. Um, that obviously is not compatible with the uh, value of embracing change, the value of responding to change over following a plan. You want to be able to accept changes even late in the development process. You want, when the client realises or the customer realises this is no longer looking like what I expect or this, the need I have no longer looks like it is satisfied by this software, you want to be able to correct for that because you value working software. You value responding change, responding to change over following a plan. You want to converge the software you're producing with the customer's idea of software that they will get value out of in in fact you ideally want to converge the value that is uh, realized by the software with the value that the customer wants um, and yeah you know, the things i said before are more or less proxies for that that doesn't mean that there aren't like risks and impacts associated with change if the customer says, okay, we need to do this on Android now, and I said uh, iOS before, you need to be able to say, that's fine, uh, we can do that. Here is what it is going to cost. Here is the effect on the schedule. Here are the resources that we now need to complete this project. Are you happy with that? And they, they need to be able to say either, no, I'm not, bye, or yes, I am, thank you for laying that out for me. Like, the idea that you just kind of replan every two weeks and that one of your iterations can be port to a completely different uh, programming language on a different platform is not uh, a recipe for success. On a similar note, you need a handover document. You need to explain at the end who is going to be responsible for keeping the lights on. Like, is the customer going to do it themselves? Are they going to have to uh, hire people? Are they going to be able to hire an external agency? Um, uh, is that agency going to have access to the source code? Is the source code going to be held in escrow? 
um, are they going to be able to come back to you as the provider and get ongoing maintenance or support? If so, what service level agreement is in place and what that what is that going to cost? How much of your time can they pay for and what will that time cost? Because otherwise you get into a situation where uh, you've gone on to another project, so 100% of your time is spent somewhere else, and you're still uh, fielding questions uh, from this previous client that you just don't have time to answer. You either answer them and uh, disrupt your new project, or don't answer them and piss off your existing customer. Neither of those outcomes is particularly desirable. So again, this is the kind of thing that needs to be agreed. And there needs to be a vague shape of that agreement uh, at the beginning. It doesn't need to be like set in stone and it doesn't need to be uh, you know, final and it doesn't need to be detailed, but it does need to be like somewhere along the lines of either we're going to do this for you and then give it to you and you're on your own, or uh, we're going to do this for you and then we can uh, look at these options for supporting it further on, um, or we're going to do this for you and then we recommend partnering with these people on, uh, on on operations. But that needs to be in place. You ought to have, and this is now not so much stuff you need up front. In fact, it's not stuff you need up front at all, but it is what you need on an ongoing basis while you are doing your project. You need acceptance criteria. They need to be written down. You know, there's this idea in user stories that you have the you know the one sentence thing on the index card as a x i want to y so that z um, and that is uh, all you need because you then go and have the conversation well that's kind of chapter one of the book the rest of the chapters of the book are about when you have that conversation you flip the index card over and you write some details down on the back and here are the you know here are the kinds of things that you might want to capture so you do end up with a record of what it is that the customer wants in some detail it isn't in the banal and pedantic detail of what used to be called a user story where every single um, condition and every single outcome is listed as a bullet point in a really long prose uh, description of the behavior but it is there and it is captured and you are able to say look we're, this thing is 60 percent complete because we identified these uh, five cases and three of them um, are present and we both agree that the three of them are present now wh whether that actually goes on an index card whether it goes into some like online system I personally don't care. You and your uh, collaborators probably do care. Um, but it does need to exist and problems will occur when it doesn't exist because you will get to, you know, let's say you're using a scrum style process, you will get to the end of an iteration and you'll say, right, we did this and you know, we um, completed this many stories and like realised uh, this much of the system and then the client will say, well, I, well, the client will either say, no, you didn't, or they will add the fixes as follow-on stories, and so you, your backlog gets longer, and your project looks like a death march, but it's a death march that's occurring two weeks at a time. Uh, so, yes, clear and agreed 
definitions of what is acceptable for whatever it is that you're working on at the moment. And then your team needs a definition of done. You need to know what work has to happen and what uh, to what level, to what quality, to what um, you know, extent of completeness before you are willing to declare uh, that you know that you have engineered the solution to this problem and you can move on to the next problem i'm not going to say much more about this than you know what those acceptance criteria and those definitions of done had better be compatible notice i haven't mentioned technical documentation at all i did talk about user guides uh you know instructions for the user on how to um how to operate this thing and notice that operate and operation are very closely related words so if you're going to hand over the operation and maintenance to somebody else there should be documentation about how to like turn the thing on how to keep it running where log messages go how errors are reported how outages get notified those kinds of things but does the technical documentation for a project matter to the same extent as all of that project collateral that I've been talking about uh, in this episode. If so, then to whom? And you know, does the criticality of it depend on the type of product that you're building? Does it depend on the type of organisation you have? Perhaps if you're in a, uh, a large organisation or one that has... Um, like high turnover of staff or at least uh, high levels of reassignment of staff between different groups maybe you need more technical documentation than if you've got a uh, a small and stable team of people who will be working on the same thing and so your institutional knowledge can be in the form of conversations and shared values and shared team norms that's the topic of comprehensive documentation thank you very much for listening i want to remind you uh, of the patreon for this uh, podcast patreon.com slash i am lee g you can of course uh, talk to me about anything that's uh, come up in this episode or about anything on your mind related to software engineering graham lee at acm.org or find me on Twitter, I was Lee G, I-W-A-S-L-E-E-G. Uh, thank you very much. I will talk to you again soon. <laughs>